What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got Krishna Kalyanin of Catalina Crunch on the line today. How are you, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, good job pronouncing that last name. <laughs> <laughs> I had to practice it. I had to practice a few times before I said it, but it's all good now. Um, <laughs> So yeah, man, give the audience, we're going to dive into all kinds of things here, but give the audience a little bio kind of on what gets you into the space and, and where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, I grew up, I grew up in uh, Southern California and played a lot of sports growing up. Um, also didn't eat that healthy growing up. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm uh, 27 years old now. Um, just started Catalina Crunch about a year and a half ago, um, kind of based around my, uh, uh, you know, food interests and in, in keto. Um, and so that's kind of the, the high level, high level overview of, of who I am. Cause you, you, you kind of had of a, like a personal motivation to start Catalina Crunch, uh, dive into that for anybody that does not know you, you being type one diabetic and all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was actually senior year of high school. I was, I think 17 at the time. Um, I was actually out on the East Coast visiting colleges uh, and was walking around a campus um, and just collapsed <laughs> basically while walking around, um, was taken to the emergency room. My blood sugar was at about 1200, um, which is sky high for the other for the other diabetics that are listening. I'm sure they're yeah. well aware um, and uh, was there for three days, missed the whole campus visit and whatnot. Um, and uh uh, you know, it was very, it was very difficult, obviously. Um, it was a very, very difficult time. Um, and so, I, after being diagnosed, you know, I had to, I had to switch up my diet a lot. Um, I grew up, you know, I grew up eating very unhealthy. Um, I ate a lot of cocoa puffs for breakfast, ate a lot of fast food, drank a lot of uh, Coca Cola, um, and you know, none of those things are are, are, are healthy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you know, I couldn't, I just couldn't keep doing that when I was diabetic because you know, you drink uh, a can of Coke and your, your blood sugar goes through the roof. It's just total, and it happens so quickly. It's just totally uncontrollable. Um, or and that was or, the first time you really had any crazy symptoms like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, I was, it, I was building up the, these symptoms. I think a lot of folks that are diabetic will tell you for like a month before they actually were diagnosed, they were going to the bathroom a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And basically what was happening is you're not able to get the blood sugar, you're not able to get the glucose out of your out of your bloodstream. And so your body's trying to dilute it by having you drink a bunch of water. And so you're, you're drinking just more and more water every day. Um, and you kind of get really good at explaining things away when you're in that process, because you know, you're all of a sudden drinking, you know, three gallons of water a day, and, you know, you go into the bathroom every 15 minutes, but at the same time, you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh, well, you know, it's healthy to drink water, right? You know, what's wrong? What could be wrong with me, right? <laughs> um, and then it kind of, you know, just gets worse and worse over time. And, you know, I remember about a week before that happened and I got diagnosed, I was driving uh, from school and it, and it got to the point where in the afternoon when I would drive home, I couldn't actually make it all the way from school to home, which was about a 20 minute drive without having to stop off at a convenience store to buy an entire gallon of water, drink the whole thing and then get back on the road. Um, wow. that, that, was, that was how bad it was. Yeah. So is your like just desire and thirst just amplified that I, I mean, it's just like your body's yeah. like thirsty. That's kind of like the only, only input yep, you're getting. Yep. 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 Yeah. I mean, you're, you're basically thirsty all the time and like voraciously thirsty, you know, thirsty when, you know, if you go on a four hour hike and you forget to bring water and then, you know, you're in the beating sun and you get back down, you just, you know, you just need water. You feel like that and you feel like that constantly. And it's, it's such an intense feeling that you just have to get water. Um, but it's weird because you, you know, you've been drinking water, you're drinking tons of water. It's like, why do you need more water? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem unhealthy to be drinking water. And so you don't think too much of it necessarily. Um, and it's funny also, cause my dad actually is a doctor. Um, so he should have known uh, uh, as well that, that I was diabetic and that's what was happening. But he also is kind of, you know, you're, I think a lot of diabetics can relate to this. You're in this like explain it away type mindset where you don't think there's any, you know, you, you hear about diabetes, but you don't think that you could actually be diabetic. And so you think that it must be a temporary thing. You know, the seasons, it's hot outside. I got to drink more water. You're, you're telling yourself anything besides you're actually diabetic. 
Well, in the keto space, you know, we're constantly pricking our fingers and testing our glucose and ketones, but that's probably not common practice for the average person. So you wouldn't really know what your blood sugar normally is. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I only got into doing all that after being after being diagnosed with diabetes. Before that, I had no idea if there was, you know, I was, I mean, I was a kid at the time. I, I was, didn't even know what blood sugar was, <laughs> I don't think, back then. And then I had to go through this whole education process. So, so what happened next? You were, you were diagnosed, well, you passed out on campus, missed your tour, and then diagnosed. Yep, yep. And then kind of like, what happened? Obviously, you had to change your diet, but how did that manifest itself? you know, acutely for you as, as a kid still. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I, I like to say to people that I just, you know, I just changed my diet and I just started becoming such a better eater and so on and so forth as soon as it happened. I think in reality, I rebelled for a little bit first. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be subject to these constraints of what you can and can't eat. You know, I didn't want to have to feel like I can't eat this. I can't eat that. Like, you know, why can't I just be normal and eat whatever the hell it is that I want? Like everyone else does. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really felt angry when the, you know, when the, the diabetes educator came in to give me, uh, uh, introduction to sugar and, you know, what foods have a lot of sugar and carb counting and stuff like that. I was really, you know, I was really not happy about that. So I really actually, after being diagnosed, kept uh, uh, eating <laughs> pretty poorly for, for a little bit. Um, and then actually, um, you know, I was, you know, and so, and so it changed a little bit, but I was still, I was still eating a lot of Cocoa Puffs. You know, I was going and eating Philly cheesesteaks for lunch, for example, I was in Philly at this point now. Um, and it was, it was one day I was in the doctor's office, you know, my, my A1C was still in the nine somewhere. So it's, it wasn't down where it was supposed to be in the five to seven range. I was now at this point something like 35 pounds overweight, um, just not feeling good at all. Um, you know, didn't have good control of my blood sugars, and you know, doctor was like, "You need <laughs> you need to get it together right now." Um, and that, you know, so that was now actually uh, like first semester freshman year of college. That's when I had I, I finally had that change of heart. I finally accepted the fact that I was a type one diabetic and I was gonna have to deal with it. And once once I accepted that mentally and I and I decided, you know, I'm gonna make the most of it. I'm not gonna be upset about the fact that I can't eat certain things or that I shouldn't eat certain things. Then I really started to dive into the nutritional aspect of it and to really understand how different things were impacting my body. Um, and, you know, I, I, I read a lot. Um, I learned a lot online. Um, I also just learned myself too, because, you know, as a diabetic, you're, you're testing your blood sugar all the time. As you mentioned, right. We typically test before we eat and then two hours after we eat, and then you test in the morning and you test in the evening as well. So, you know, all in all, you're getting at least eight data points a day. Um, and so you start, you know, you quickly, if, if you're doing that and being, and being diligent about it, you quickly get a good sense of how your body's reacting to different foods. Um, and so that was, that was where I then, where I kind of went next. Um, and so I quickly realized um, that a, a low carb diet was going to be interesting um, and was really going to be helpful in, in keeping, uh, uh, my blood sugar from spiking and making it easier for me to control my diabetes, keep my A1C down. And mm -hmm. then actually the other thing that happened senior year of college, uh, senior year of high school as well, that I didn't tell you about is I also was diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, and so it was actually epilepsy, which got me interested in the keto diet in particular, because you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, folks have used the keto diet to treat epilepsy. Um, and so that I started looking into epilepsy and, and keto for that reason. Um, and I was especially, you know, there's, there are different drugs on the market for uh, epileptics. Um, but there's, you know, I think a pretty widespread consensus that none of them are, are uh, free of, of issues. Um, you know, and, and some of the top ones really can make you angry um, and, and kind of have more mood swings than you otherwise would have. Um, and so I was looking to the keto diet as well as a way to potentially help out with that problem. Um, and so that was kind of, that was kind of where I, where I really got interested in it. Man, this must have really been kind of like a turning point for you going into college freshman year, not being able to go out and party with everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I mean, high school, yeah, senior year of high school going into freshman year of college was tough. I had the diabetes. I had the epilepsy. I actually also uh, tore uh, my ACL, PCL, and MCL 
um, and partially tore my LCL in my left leg. And so I actually had to go do physical therapy on top of all this. Um, so it was a, it was, it was quite a year. Um, it was quite a year to, <laughs> to handle all of that. You know, it kind of all happened at once. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's for the better now. Um, uh, but you know, if I was still eating cocoa puffs for breakfast and drinking all this Coke, I would, you know, where would I be? Right. So, um, looking at what's best for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so with the, um, the, the epilepsy, did you have any like seizures or anything like that? I did. I'd had uh, a few seizures when I was in high school. Um, one when I was, uh, at home, uh, one when I was at school, uh, probably a third one when I was at home. Um, sometimes actually when you're epileptic, but you don't realize you're epileptic, you don't necessarily recognize the fact that you have a seizure. Um, because what happens is you just kind of black out and then you wake up and you, your head hurts, you have a headache, but you don't really know what happened. Right. So I had a few seizures now looking back that I didn't even realize, I didn't even realize they were seizures. Um, but then, um, I was, I had a seizure one morning, um, when I was home and, and my mom saw it. So she was able to call 911. And then that's when I realized that I was epileptic as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. How much time had elapsed between you figuring out that you were diabetic and also epileptic? Oh man. Uh, I think it was like winter, uh, that I found out that I was epileptic, um, or in the fall. And then it was, and then it was in the springtime that I found out that I was diabetic. So, maybe like a four month, four months in between or something like that. Um, and, and in between those two was when I tore all the ligaments in my left leg as well. So all three of those things happened kind of in a four or five month period. Man, perfect storm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I wonder to this day how much, uh, you know, you know, cause we don't know, we don't understand what causes type one diabetes, right. Necessarily. Um, and so I wonder to this day if the, if you know stress is is one thing which which can trigger uh or they think might trigger your your white blood cells to attack your pancreatic insulin producing cells and cause type 1 diabetes um, and so mm -hmm. i wonder to this day if the if the leg injury you know was had something to do with with that and and whether i would be a type 1 diabetic if i didn't get that leg injury but we'll never know yeah i guess it's uh, water on the bridge now huh <laughs> yep absolutely so it's it's kind of interesting, man. A lot of people that that aren't epileptic and they're just type one diabetic, they'll they'll put less of an emphasis on their nutrition and kind of focus more on you know timing their insulin shots and whatnot, and and mm -hmm. you know, eating certain sweet sugary foods at certain times. But you being epileptic as well, kind of really put keto towards the, the you know center of your mind, forefront of your mind, which is kind of like a very good thing because like from a diabetic perspective, I think that's the the best and only way to go for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was definitely good, uh, I think, because you're right, you, you know, the diabetics are taught to time their insulin shots. And I was taught this to time the insulin shots around the carbs that you're eating. Um, and they're also taught, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, they're, they're taught uh, not necessarily that you need to reduce carbs or anything like that, just just, you know, more or less to time it properly um, and to make sure that you're counting the amount of carbs that you eat and taking an amount of insulin that's equivalent to that. Um, so yeah, no, I never was once taught or told the keto diet from my diabetes educator. So I, I had no idea about it um, until I was looking at how, how health can, and how eating can actually implement, uh, can it, how it can affect uh, uh, epilepsy as well. Um, and that's where I got into it. But, you know, I mean, I mean, if you're, you know, any, I think any diabetic realizes pretty quickly that if you eat carbs or you eat sugar, you have to take insulin. Mm -hmm. And if you don't eat carbs or sugar, you don't have to take insulin because um, they don't make your blood sugar go up. Um, and so if you're lazy uh, or you just don't like sticking a needle into your stomach all the time, you know, just stop eating sugar, you know, cut down on the amount of carbs you eat. And then obviously you can, you know, you can, uh, you can stick your stick your stomach with a needle less often, <laughs> which is a great thing. Um, and so, you know, I think that's that's a part of why, why it you know that naturally lends itself. And then the other part, you know, the the high fat part is I think also interesting because uh, if you if you eat something that is high in fat, it tends to 
um, reduce the uh, blood sugar spike that you get at, from eating carbs, and it tends to and it tends to move it over a longer period of time. Um, so it's like if you eat uh, like ice cream, for example, you know it's just a whole bunch of sugar in there. It's going to spike your blood sugar almost immediately, like within 15 minutes of eating it, maybe even 10 minutes. Um, if you were to actually fry the ice cream and then eat it, eat the ice cream inside of a bunch of fat. Um, the fat kind of shields it for a little while. And so it will actually be, it will actually, that spike will actually occur over a kind of a prolonged period of time, which makes it easier for you to match your, your insulin intake with the spike in blood sugar, right? Cause things like, things like ice cream, gummy bears, Coca-Cola, like you can't, you know, they, they, they spike your blood sugar so quickly that you can't take insulin to react quickly enough. The fastest acting insulin that we have acts over a two hour period of time, not over a 15 minute period of time. Um, and so the fat I think is, is definitely quite interesting to diabetics for that reason as well. And something that, that diabetics I think don't pay enough attention to, um, and don't spend enough time thinking about. Yeah. For me, man, like, I don't know, like I'm not diabetic, but I've, I've trained Mm -hmm. people that are diabetic and I know several people that are diabetic and for them not to put nutritional, like, like the priority list, just boggles me like uh, one guy I trained with you know he he would be so sensitive to like the the insulin response that he'd get from training like the glucose surge he'd get from training and then he would like try mm-hmm. and stack like a pre-workout or something on top of that full of sugar and it's just I don't know man like it's just a recipe for disaster if you don't put like nutrition in the forefront because he would have to call the workout short and go you know to the bathroom and inject insulin and of course by the time that's all said and done you've like lost your mojo and you just want to leave the gym you know <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. No, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, nutrition is key. It's the number one. I mean, it's the number one thing. Um, it's 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 fundamental to to control of diabetes. And you know, I think we're just just learning now how 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 much nutrition can impact various aspects of our life that we may not have even realized. You know, not just not just uh, for diabetics, but you know, if it's if we're talking about mental clarity or if we're talking about skin, if we're talking about stress levels, you know, obviously weight loss versus weight gain, all these things are, all these things and more are, 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 you know, a result of what you eat. You are what you eat. It's, it's so true. 100%, man. 100%. Well, we'll dive into kind of what this made you, how, how did this lead to the creation of your food product? Like what was the, the stepping stones there? Yeah, well, um, after I was diagnosed and then I started on, you know, and then I started changing how I was eating and then I went from a low carb diet and then I went to a keto diet. Um, I had to, uh, eat, um, you know, I had to eat a lot of eggs for breakfast, obviously. Um, and so, you know, for God knows what has it now been almost 10 years, you know, I'd just been eating eggs every day for breakfast Mm -hmm. and, it was, you know, I used to, I used to like eggs. Um, so it was, it was fine and it wasn't a big deal. Um, but, uh, over time I, I, you know, I would put different hot sauces on the eggs and, you know, I eat it with avocado, eat it with bacon and kind of switch it up. Sometimes make different types of omelets and frittatas and whatnot, right. Add some vegetables in there. Um, but I just got, you know, I don't know what, what, what happened to me, but I just got sick of the taste of eggs. And while they used to taste good, now I just can't ta- can't stand this this the taste or the or the smell of them, um, and so it's 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 been really difficult to eat breakfast. Um, and the other hard part about about breakfast for me had always been that oh there are so many good breakfast foods that that are just so unhealthy um, and so filled with sugar. You know, like I I think to, about to cocoa puffs what I ate growing up. I mean, cocoa puffs taste effing delicious <laughs> um you know it's it's i don't know you probably haven't had cocoa puffs in forever but if you have cocoa puffs i think you're gonna be blown away again by i mean how amazing they taste and and you know it's not and i and, and i think it's it's one example obviously but there's a lot of stuff like you know uh acai bowls uh you know like fruit smoothies uh you know talking about uh, uh waffles or or pancakes with maple syrup on top i mean all these things taste amazing. And, and when you're seeing other people eat them, especially on the weekends and, and, you know, you're not able to eat them, it's, it's difficult. Right. Um, and it feels, it can feel, uh, you know, I always felt that it should be easy to eat breakfast and have fun doing it while being on keto. Right. right. It shouldn't feel right. like a chore and, and, and 
folks on keto should have the same options that other folks have. You know, they should be able, one, you should be able to get a cereal or another packaged food, which is really convenient and eat that quickly if that's if that's in the mode that you're in, right? Um, and there should be keto cereals in the breakfast aisle on, you know, in the cereal aisle on stores. Uh, if you want to go to a restaurant and you want to eat, you know, a, a, a keto breakfast, which is also fun, you know, something like a, like a almond flour pancakes, for example. Um, you know, I think you should be able to do that. Um, you know, there, sh there shouldn't be all these restrictions and it shouldn't be so difficult um, to kind of have access to these types of foods. Um, and so that was, that was kind of, you know, the, the, the pain point in my life. Um, and that's why I had started Catalina Crunch. Um, the other part of it, actually, that, you know, some folks don't realize is I actually started out so I got into low carb baking and so I was using almond flour, coconut flour, things like that. Right. Um, and I was actually making crackers. Uh, so what I would do is I would bake a bunch of crackers and then I'd put them in little bags and then I'd, and I'd snack on them throughout the week. And it was one day I was in the kitchen baking crackers and I realized that if I made the crackers a little bit smaller, uh, and I made them in like ball shapes, the dough, uh, it would be like, and I added some cacao, it would be like cocoa puffs. <laughs> and so then I, and then I got really excited about that as, cause I remember us eating that as a kid all the time. So I was like, huh, wonder, I wonder what I can do like this. And so then I started making this and I, you know, I'd roll basically dough into little balls and then I would, I would add cacao to it and I would make these little chocolate balls and I would eat it that way. Um, and so that's how, that's how I got started. Um, and then after a period, I don't know, over a period of a couple months, more and more friends uh, were just interested in trying this kind of keto cocoa puffs that I had created. Um, and so that's how, uh, you know, more and more people got into it. And then I realized, you know, so many people are interested in this, maybe I should actually start making it and selling it. Um, and that's how it that's how it eventually turned into a business. So when you were making the crackers, that was all just for you, right? Like you never intended to make those like a, a, a product available to other people. Yep. No, it's just for me. It's just like, you know, just like you might cook a whole bunch of chicken breast on Sunday and then eat it throughout the week or something like that. You know, I was just cooking a whole bunch of crackers and then I would eat that throughout the week. That's, that's cool, man. I love the stories that are like start out like that because that's the same thing with me and the keto book. Like I never intended it for, for it to be a product and then people just showed interest in it enough to the point that I'm like, well, let's just play around with it and see what happens. So I like uh -huh. it so organically for you like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's great too. I mean, from from your perspective or my perspective, you know how difficult it is to start one of these businesses to have that <clears throat> level of motivation where you understand you're doing it first and foremost for yourself. Um, and you know, that, that if no one else benefits from it, at least you will kind of thing is mm -hmm. <laughs> like a, a last ditch, uh, attempt to validate your effort. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think it's powerful and, and, you know, it helps out a lot because then you're, you understand folks, you understand, you know, if you yourself are, are eating keto and so you're making, uh, uh, keto bricks in your case, you know, you, you understand very well the pain points and the frustrations that folks have, and you understand what, what impact, you know, your product can have in people's lives. Right. Whereas if you're, if you don't have the personal frustration, you know, if you're just doing it, you know, blindly. to make money or something like that, then, yeah. then, then, yeah, and you're doing it blindly, then, then it's going to be so much harder to you for you to figure out who your customers are. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think that's definitely a, a big part of it. And it, it really, I mean, you know, starting a business is very difficult. Um, you know, we've been through a lot of challenges getting this uh, product to market. Um, a lot of unexpected challenges, uh, a lot of things that I didn't realize I was going to have to deal with. And so you need, you know, when, it, when it's midnight and you're still working, trying to figure out something that's going wrong, you know, you need that extra motivation. You need that reason deep down as to why you're actually doing it. Um, otherwise, you might as well just give up and stop. Um, and so, you know, I think that was, that was, you know, that was helpful for me, really helpful for me. Yeah, for sure, man. We're going to dive into the, the business for sure. What, what made you want to go with the cereal as opposed to like making the crackers a business? Ah, good question. Um, I think, you know, I guess it was like snacks versus breakfast. And I felt that, uh, uh, breakfast was the was kind of the bigger issue in my opinion getting like a convenient but also great tasting breakfast mm -hmm. um so that was that was one part of it uh, the other part is just i was like 
I just became really excited, honestly, about the idea of making a chocolate cereal for breakfast um, and and kind of the nostalgia that 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 kind of Cocoa Puffs brought to me. You know, it, it like brought back all that nostalgia around childhood. Um, and I didn't necessarily get any nostalgia thinking about any specific crackers or anything like that. Um, so it was a little it was a little less interesting. Um, and so I think it was those it was those two things that made me think that that cereal is the more interesting way to go. Um, I would like I mean, I would like to make crackers in the future as well, because <laughs> um, I think that that, you know, snacking is another one where um, more more convenient uh, uh, snacks uh, that, that fit this way of eating are needed as well. Um, but cereal is just where I wanted to start out based on that nostalgia that I was feeling. And from like a business perspective, man, you look at, you know, you go down any grocery store aisle down the cereal section and you won't find a single keto-friendly option. Whereas you, you can find, you know, kind of pseudo-keto cracker options like the cheese crackers, like the, the chia seed crackers, mm. but there's no keto-friendly cereals that I know of. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, you go into a grocery store and it's all dominated by, you know, Kellogg's Post and General Mills and they have like, they have like 50 different cereals, but they're all variations on the same, you know, wheat flour, corn flour, bleached, you know, bleached usually, right? right. Um, plus sugar <laughs> um, and then different artificial flavors. And so that's how they, you make a whole wide variety of, you know, stuff, which is essentially all very similar. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that was another reason why I was interested in doing it is because I felt like it would really stand out and it would really be so different from what's currently there and what's currently available. Um, and, you know, I just felt like there's a, there's, you know, there's really like an, an oligopoly in the cereal market right now. You have, you have these three companies and they have sold, they are selling, you know, probably close to 99% of all cereal sales in the, in America. Um, and so to an extent, they, they don't necessarily have a re and they bought up all the shelf space. I mean, the cereal aisle is so long, right? I mean, and, and like you go to a Walmart and it's you, you feel like you're walking down a football field going from one end to the other. Um, you know, you just go on and on and on and they, you know, they've just bought up and monopolized all the space. Um, and so they haven't necessarily had a reason to, to think too much about, you know, what other products that they might want to offer and, you know, what, what other, uh, making their products healthier. Um, you know, they're not in that mindset. If you listen to some of the conference calls that these companies do for their investors, you know, one thing they're actively thinking about is how can we get people to eat as much cereal as possible? And how, how can we get them to eat as many of our other products as possible, right? Because these companies all own all sorts of snacks and other things like that. And, you know, it becomes clear quickly that if you're trying to sell as much cereal as possible, and you're trying to sell it for as cheap as possible, you want to just include, you know, you just want empty foods, you know, it's like just basically wheat, bleached wheat flour and sugar, you know, it's great, because it tastes amazing. It has, you know, zero nutritional value. And as a result, you're hungry, you know, two hours after you eat it, <laughs> yeah. which then which then leads you to buying another one of their products to curb your hunger, right? Or eating more of that product. Um, and so they're getting a lot of money out of you that way um, and getting you to buy a lot. And, you know, the other thing is like cereal boxes are huge, but they don't fill you up. I mean, you can eat an entire box of Cocoa Puffs in, uh, you know, one morning if you really want to. It's like eating potato chips, right? You can sit on the couch, watch TV, and you can eat an entire, you know, an entire bag of potato chips, like one of those big bags of potato chips and, and still not feel full. And, and that's, you know, that's great for the companies. Um, it gets you, it gets you buying a lot of their products and, I think in, in cereal in particular, the sugar is very addictive. The, the combination of the sugar and the artificial flavors, you know, they spent a lot of money trying to figure out how to use these artificial flavors to get you craving their product, get the you craving point, it more, right? more, and then more, more right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yep. Um, and it's, you know, it's it almost, I think, is reminiscent of big tobacco in a way um, mm -hmm. in, in how, how much time these companies spent I like to call them big sugar. Um, how much time big sugar spent suppressing the science around the harm, you know, the harmful effects of sugar and instead blaming everything on fat. Um, and it was perfect for them because, you know, cereals don't contain a lot of fat. They just contain a lot of sugar and a lot of empty calories, and a lot of empty carbs. And so, you know, they, they made a tremendous amount of money suppressing that science. Um, and, you know, in, in getting people addicted to their product. I mean, back in, it's, it's insane to think about now, but back in the like eighties and early nineties, it was something like 
four and five, eighty percent of Americans would eat uh, like a cocoa puffs like product for breakfast. I mean, insane, an insane number. Um, it was, it was. I mean, they had a monopoly on the, <laughs> on yeah. breakfast, um, and and you know now people are waking up to it, right? They're waking up to the fact that this is not at all healthy. Um, and you know, so these sales obviously are declining and declining and declining. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think from a, from a profit perspective, adding, just adding a ton of sugar and bleached wheat flour to your product is, is a great way to get people hooked on it, addicted to it. And then, and then selling a lot of it, which is, it's sad, but it's true. Man, I haven't been down in so long. Cocoa Puffs is the one with the bird as the, the, the figure. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. What's the average price of a box of cereal nowadays? I don't even know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it depends. It depends a lot because they have really done a good job of segmenting the market based on uh, the type of cereal you're buying, right? So they have things like Wheaties and Grape Nuts, for example, which are targeted towards athletic audiences. And those folks tend to have a little bit more money. They're positioned as healthy products. But, you know, you and I know that you know, just eating a bunch of bleached wheat flour for breakfast with milk is is not, you know, not a yeah, not a very yeah. healthy or filling way to, to to like start your morning off, right? But so those 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 can be, you know, say five six dollars for a box. Um, things like cocoa puffs, uh, uh, you know, cinnamon toast crunch uh, stuff like that. Usually three to four dollars for a box. Man, I used to eat a whole bunch of cinnamon toast crunch. That and fruity pebbles. That was my jam. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's and and I mean it's insane. They're making a ton of money off of the products too, because you know wheat flour, bleached wheat flour. Now that I'm in the food industry and I'm seeing this stuff, you know it costs about thirty five cents a pound, um, and sugar is super cheap as well. So you mix sugar and bleached wheat flour, and you're you you have like twenty, maybe like fifteen cents worth of ingredients in that box of cereal that they're then going out and selling for three four bucks, right? Um, so it's it's incredible how low they've gotten their costs down as well. But going back to the point of being a monopoly and having people addicted to their product, they can sell it for much more than, than they're actually, you know, it actually costs them to make it. Right. Right. And they're tricky with like the, the marketing. I mean, they'll put like, I was looking at like the general mills logo and kind of some of the bullet points they put out in big, bold letters, you know, made with hundred percent whole grains and whatnot, but it's, it, they're just hitting those buzzwords. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're just trying to hit the buzzwords any way they can trying to deceive people any way they can. The other funny thing that I saw uh, them start doing recently, and it's not funny, but it it, it struck me as funny is that they will, they, they say on the front, uh, no high fructose corn syrup. And the reason why the reason, because that's like, you know, no one wants, that's like the big bad thing. No one wants high fructose corn syrup, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why there's no high fructose corn syrup is because they separated the two of those things out, basically. So they have one ingredient, which is corn syrup and another ingredient, which is fructose. <laughs> so they have both, but they've separated into two. So rather than just buying high fructose corn syrup, they're buying the two ingredients separately and then saying that there's no high fructose corn syrup in the product. Uh-huh. I think it's the most deceiving thing. That you could, you know, I mean, you're really pushing the line there as to what's, I mean, what's ethical and what's not ethical and what's just straight up lying to people when you do something like that. Oh, it's crazy, man. Like in in kind of working in this food industry and learning things as they go, I mean, you, you, first of all, you get like a 20% margin of error with your, your Mm -hmm. macronutrients, uh, with listed, which is just crazy. I mean, if I'm an athlete, I'm trying to really get my macros out and I don't want to be within 20%. Um, I'm going to be mm-hmm. down on the money. So that, that alone is kind of deceiving. But then the fact that they can label and hit on those buzzwords, like same concept holds true with, you know, like these, like you go buy a dozen eggs and they've got, you know, there's like a whole freaking profile, you know, comparing and contrasting what is the difference between cage free and free range and, you know, grass. I mean, there's just, it's just mind boggling to me how these companies are playing on, you know, consumers. And it's just very, very dishonest. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's total dishonesty. Um, <clears throat> another one that I've been telling folks about recently that I, that I think is one of the most deceiving and clever, uh, innovations that, <laughs> that the food industry has gotten away with, um, <clears throat> are these snap pea crisps. Have you seen that, that product? Uh, I th- the, the little, like kind of little green pouch, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Well, what, what are they doing? Um, I think it's like harvest snap pea crisps or something like that. Anyways, if you, if you take a look at it, um, 
they are the product is shaped in the form of a pea, uh, like a pea pod. Mm -hmm. Um, and on the front cover is like one pea pod, which is an actual, like, you know, high resolution image of a pea of an actual pea pod. Mm -hmm. And then sticking out next to it is their product, which is the exact same shape, but it's not a pea pod, it's like a green pea pod looking thing, right? Um, and so really really what it is it's it's kind of like a green cheeto that's that's basically what the product is like um shaped into a peapod um and so a lot of people buy these things thinking that they're buying a baked peapod you see what i'm saying yeah. but in reality in reality that is not a baked peapod it is you know uh uh mostly not pea either right like there's some pea in there but it's mostly not pea a uh, green peas and it's just, you know, the flour and, and the oil and whatnot, and it's mixed together. And then it's shaped into the pea pod shape. So it gives the perception that you're eating a baked pea pod when in reality you're not. Kind of like um, those vegetable and... <laughs> straw things. Have you seen those? Yep, yep, yep. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like a vegetable straw, but they actually shaped it in the exact same shape as the vegetable. So you actually thought you were actually eating like a baked version of the vegetable. Blows my mind, man. And then you look at the in the back of these ingredients, because that is one thing that they mm -hmm. mandate. They mandate that you show all your ingredients, which is a plus. That's why I always advocate yeah, yeah. people not simply read the nutritional label, but, you know, scroll down beneath that and read the the full ingredient list. Um, mm -hmm. pe people are very hesitant. To, a lot of companies are hesitant to put the full nutrition in front of it, but they have to put all the ingredients. So, I mean, yeah, you look yeah. at some of these baked goods and, I mean, the, the ingredient list is a mile long. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah yeah um yeah all sorts of different uh you know uh all sorts of different products that they're including in their in their in their yeah in some of these baked goods and you know it's it's <laughs> it's a, you know it i mean yeah it's uh it can be ridiculous sometimes um you know sometimes like i know i know in the example of some sugary cereals they'll have like four or five different versions of sugar on the ingredients list you know like they have like corn syrup fructose and dextrose and sucrose, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they do that because, you know, the different versions of sugar can have slightly different tastes to them, right? So you might have like a cane sugar has more of a fruity taste to it than just pure dextrose does, right? Um, and some might taste a little sweeter, some a little less sweet. And so they're mixing these things up. And yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes it, it makes it difficult for consumers. It's not making, <laughs> it is not making it easy on the lives of consumers. That's for sure. It is so unfortunate, man. I wish I, it's too much to ask for people just to be honest. Like that's like a like unheard of these days. <laughs> uh, yep, yep, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, you know, on the other hand, though, it's it's. I, I think there's a bigger opportunity than ever, though, because because these big companies are lying about sugar and and deceiving people about all of these things when a customer is deceived and they they see they see no high fructose corn syrup on the box of cereal for example and they go oh, okay great there's no high fructose corn syrup and then it turns out oh look at the ingredients there is they get really frustrated and really angry right and so it provides an opportunity for folks who are going to be honest and who are going to be doing things the right way to actually do them the right way and to earn the trust of those consumers right i mean you know like i eat my cereal every day for breakfast the food scientists i talk to over at you know, these big sugar companies, big cereal companies, they never eat, you know, those sugary cereals for breakfast. Um, and so they don't have an incentive necessarily to make it healthy or to care what's in it if you're not eating it yourself. Right. But, yeah. you know, I think a lot of these smaller businesses, it was started, you know, started by a person who, who had a, who had multiple reasons for eating it and, and, and you know, was going to eat it themselves, right? And not some big faceless corporation. Um, and so they really do care, you know, you're, you're eating your bricks. And so you care what goes into them, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm eating my cereal. So I care what goes into that. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's helpful. Yeah, man, let's, let's dive into Catalina Crunch. Tell, tell me, give me, give me the, the details on that. Like you, you said, you started it out of necessity to kind of make your own chocolate cocoa puff, basically that's keto friendly and not spike your mm -hmm. blood glucose, but just kind of talk about the evolution of Catalina Crunch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was, I think, as I said before, I started making it out of a kitchen that I was working at. So I was working in this kitchen and it, at night I was baking these crackers, right? Um, and I realized that if I just changed the shape of the crackers and made them 
you know, sweet using say monk fruit rather than, uh, uh, rather than, uh, salty, I could, and I added cacao to it, you know, I could have this kind of like chocolate tasting cracker, which would then, you know, if I made it small enough would be, would be like a cereal. Um, so, so that's how I'd gotten started with it. Um, and then friends were asking to try it and they really liked it and, you know, more and more folks were interested in it. And so that's when I then went ahead and turned it into a business, um, and started actually selling it. Um, and at first, at first, it, you know, it still wasn't like a big thing. It was just like friends, friends and friends of friends, uh, friends of their friends who were interested in it. And so I would, you know, I would just spend more time, uh, baking more of this stuff in the kitchen, in the commercial kitchen. Um, and, you know, I bought some stand up pouches on Amazon and I would just package it in there and then I would give it out to folks. Um, and that was, this was like about a year ago now. Um, and that, that was kind of like how it got started. So it's just me eating it and maybe you know, 20, 30 other people, friends and friends of friends eating it. Um, and then, you know, I just, I, it was just like more and more people were interested and interested. And I would just start getting texts. Hey, a friend of my friend wants to try some, do you have some for him? And it's like a friend of his friend wants to try some. And, you know, this guy would like to try some. And before I knew it, there were so many people that wanted it. And, you know, I wasn't, at first I wasn't even charging for it. And then I was, and then I said, all right, so I'm going to start charging for this. Um, and, I realized that, that, you know, just like more and more people wanted it. And so I decided to turn it into a business. And when I did that, <clears throat> I basically sunk my life savings into uh, going to a larger facility where I could actually, you know, had people that would help out in making it. And, you know, so now I don't, I don't spend eight hours a day inside of a, a commercial kitchen making the product. And so it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more scalable than it was before. Um, so that's how it, that's how it started. Um, and then, we actually relaunched it. It, it. And I think, you know, from, from working on the brick product as well, we just relaunched it, uh, about a month ago now. Um, because, uh, it took forever in terms of finding the right facility, getting all of the clearances from a food safety perspective and getting all the supply chain together and stuff like that. So that took a, that took a, took a long, long time and a lot of, a lot of effort. Um, but we got that all together. We relaunched it about a month ago. Um, we had, we actually had an issue with the shape of the cereal and cause I wanted to make this like square shaped cereal. Um, but for some technical reasons, as soon as we started producing, we couldn't produce the square shape and we had to go to this like circular type shape. Um, so that was a big hassle. Um, but you know, it went well and we ended up selling the entire first batch uh, of cereal in about three weeks. Um, and so we're, we're sold out right now actually, but we uh, on the 21st of September are shipping out our second batch again now. Um, so looking forward, looking forward to uh, to getting going with that. Very cool, very cool. What what about the uh, the shape? So you said that it was. Because I'm looking at your website now, so it looks like square with like the little indention lines, kind of like a mm -hmm. uh, oh, the the cinnamon toast crunch almost shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Circular yep. now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so oh man, this was a this is a big headache. Uh, so that you know, so when I when you're make when you're when you're rolling dough yourself and then you're shaping it yourself and making crackers, like you can make crackers whatever shape you want, right? Mm -hmm. um, just depends on how you roll, cut, shape the dough, uh, and and so it's no big deal. Um, and so I was like, all right, that's how I made that kind of like uh, cracker like shape was basically rolling dough into squares and then kind of using a fork to make these, those, those, you know, those, those, uh, indentions that you see on top. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, you know, I was like, we, you know, you, you, you start selling the product and you got to get photography for website and for, you know, marketing materials and things like that. So I hire a photographer to do a photo shoot and make all these photos of this product. And, you know, I've, I've sunk literally my entire life savings into the ingredients to actually do the first batch because this facility that we're working with has such high minimum order quantities, right? You can't mm -hmm. just do $100 worth of cereal or something like that. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to go all in, right? Um, and so we get to the facility and, and you know, I thought everything was going to be all right. And it turns out that they can't make the, uh, the shape, that square shape, because it's not like sticking together properly. And so what's happening is it's kind of coming apart and it's and it's like uh, uh, generating more dust and it, a couple other reasons, but various technical problems with the process. And so they had to go back to making the circular shape because this kind of like small 
circular shape is just the easiest, like just an easier shape to make. As you can, if you think about like dough and circles, like dough and circles is is less likely to come apart or break apart or anything like that than squares are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had so on the fly, they're telling me either we make the circles <clears throat> or you throw out all the ingredients and all the food that we've made, which is you know like thirty thousand dollars worth of food. And you can't even legally donate it either because it hasn't gone through whatever food safety protocols and whatnot. Um, so we, you either you either start all over and throw it all out, or you just go ahead with this for the first one. And you know, I was I was really worried at the time because this, like, you know, because the shape, you know, doesn't match what's on the website, right? Um, and so I was really worried about that. Um, I was not happy at all about it. Um, eventually, what we ended up doing is we just ended up selling the cereal at cost to people. Um, because I wanted to kind of strike a balance between, you know, wasting a whole, whole bunch of, you know, perfectly edible and good tasting cereal that just wasn't shaped properly versus, uh, throwing it all away. Right. Um, but that was, that was a problem on the first run, um, and definitely generated a lot of headache. I spent a lot of time talking to customers on the phone, them saying, Hey, I ordered this square shaped cereal. Why is it circular? (laughs) Um, and, and so I talked with a lot of folks about that. Um, but now we got that. I mean, we just figured out and finished, got that problem, uh, uh, figured out. So, the next batch that's coming out, if you order now or any time in the future, will be squares, um, and it's they're actually they're actually pretty cool. They're like little pieces of toast, essentially, um, that will be that will be sending out now. Yeah, man, it is crazy. Like I can totally respect and appreciate the headache that comes with it because there's so many things that pop up out of nowhere that aren't even on your radar, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you cannot make another step forward until you figure this thing out, and and that's a classic uh, example. Yeah. yep yep yeah absolutely i mean you wouldn't think you know you wouldn't necessarily think so much about it but you know when you when you when you do it yourself you can do whatever you want you move to another facility and all of a sudden you know they have they have rules they have ways of doing things you know equipment can be different and so on and so forth and and yeah it can be it can be a problem you know um another another issue that we had faced a little bit early on is actually just related to dough you know like one thing about about dough traditionally is if you're using like a bleached flour it's that gluten right which is which is holding your dough together and making Mm -hmm. it nice and elastic so you have you have like a pizza dough with with wheat flour you know it's real elastic you can throw it around it's almost like you know it's it's stringy in a way and it just sticks together really well but it's not sticky or anything like that right and i think all your all your listeners who who are used to like low carb baking and using things like guar gum or xanthan gum to keep the dough sticking together yeah you know, you're familiar with how messy and sticky the whole thing gets mm-hmm. um and then that can become a big problem in terms of cleaning up right you know if, if you're if you're if your stuff is sticking together you can't roll it out properly or you're rolling it out properly but it's getting all over the place you know all these things right they, they add up to extra cost if you really gotta if you you know if it really gets messy or if it's uh you know, a lot of a lot of your dough is just you know sticking to things. So that was another kind of big problem we had to figure out. You got you got to love these problems, man. You got to just smile at them in the face <laughs> of them in the, in the moment because that's the only thing you can do. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, you, you, one day, one day you think everything's golden. The next day, you know, there's this big change, and you know, you just got to figure out. <laughs> the next day, you, <laughs> you get circle cereal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly, and, you, and yeah, you just kind of got to roll with it, make the best of it, um, smile at it, try to understand it. Um, you know, one thing, one thing that I think is is has been great is that you know the community of folks that are making that are starting new food businesses, like yourself, for example. You know, I think very, I've generally found uh, to be a very welcoming uh, type of community that's that's very uh willing to help folks right um you know I, I remember that you and i chatted a while back about starting our various products and what we've kind of learned along the way and you know at least that part you can get you can get feedback from other food entrepreneurs you can learn that way um and so that i mean that's definitely a, a godsend yeah it's crazy man i called you i don't remember how we got in, in contact who, who introduced us uh, I think Adam introduced us. Um, he had started that um, keto uh, beverage. Yeah, yeah, Kuma yeah. Shake. yeah. Yep. Um, and so That's he right. had chatted with you at some point, and then he introduced the two of us. And you were you were like uh, just getting started on your 
on your keto bricks at the time. Um, and so you were, you were thinking about, well, how, you know, what kind of packaging do I buy? How do I package them? You know, how do I make sure that they stay uh, together and fresh and stuff like that? And so <laughs> we were talking through all that. Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. That was just the infancy stage for sure. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. so tell me, man, what is it like, like, what are the emotions that go through your head when you're putting your life savings on the line for something that you're not 100% sure is even going to work? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's exciting and really nerve wracking at the same time. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, on the one hand, you're excited, kind of like if you were to just, you know, go all in in poker, you're like, all right. All the chips are on the table. I'm fully in and I'm fully committed to this, right? Um, and there were a lot of people who were wanting to try my cereal and wanting to buy the cereal and I didn't have enough cereal for them. So for that reason, I felt really confident about it. But at the same time, on the other side, you're like thinking about it and you're like, well, oh my God, if this doesn't work out or if I can't sell it, you know, could be stuck with you know, 50,000 pouches of cereal. And like, what am I going to do with that? Right. It's more than I can eat. It's more than me and all my friends can eat. Uh, you know, you just, you just be totally out of money. Um, so I think it's weird. It's like, <clears throat> it's a, it, you almost feel a little bipolar or you feel like you go back and forth between the state of euphoria and the state of despondency, um, where, where you're, you're just so excited to see what's going to happen on the one hand. And then you kind of take a second look at the decision and you're like, well, you know, you have one, one part of your brain is super excited. The other part is going, well, did you think about this risk? Did you think about that risk? Do you think about this risk? Do you think about that risk? And so you kind of go back and forth between these two states. It's really, I don't know, at least for me, it's really been a, an emotional roller coaster. It is definitely a roller coaster, man. Like for me, you know, Keto Brick is, is built on the foundation that Keto Savage has laid in a sense. And, and all of that comes from you know, just like putting myself out there on you know, the YouTube, the podcast, the Instagram and whatnot, and then gaining some traction and brand loyalty. It's almost mm -hmm. like I'm in a dream, man. Like I always just fear that I'm going to wake up and then I'm going to, I'm going to wake up after I just purchased all my ingredients and like <laughs> nobody wants to buy them anymore, you know? Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. No, but I think, I mean, I think what you got going is great because you've spent so long uh, talking about it on the podcast and, and, you know, you built up this following, right? So, um, whenever you are launching a product into an existing audience that you already have and an existing following that you already have, and you know, you've been helping a lot of folks out for a long time. I mean, folks are already listening to your podcast. They're already getting ideas. They're already learning. And so when you say, Hey, you know, try this product I made, <clears throat> you know, it's a natural extension of everything I've been talking about. I think it's, it's, uh, you're really in a good spot. Um, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, I was, I was working in a commercial kitchen. Uh, I was not, uh, podcasting <laughs> or doing any of that sort of stuff, unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of, this is a little bit different. I, I had to start from scratch in terms of reaching people. Um, but, you know, I think thankfully the keto community is a very <clears throat> tight knit one. Um, you know, a lot of folks, talking a lot and, and uh, you know, solving problems with each other through whether it's like Facebook groups or, you know, Reddit or wherever else. Um, and so if you if you do come up with something <clears throat> that genuinely contributes to the movement, you know, folks are happy to tell each other about it. And, and you know, I'm very blessed for that. Yeah, 100%, man. It's an exciting time because, I, I mean, like you and I were talking before we started recording, you know, we're seeing a bunch of new products come to the market and you know, if you can tell that people are there and they're like genuinely wanting to add value and they're in it for the mm -hmm. right reasons, I'll do everything and anything to help them in any way I can. Like, you mm -hmm. know, you, you, you were helping me when Keto Rick was in its infancy. I've had calls with, you know, I've had calls with a couple of different ice cream companies that are wanting to start up keto mm -hmm. ice creams. And yeah. I'll happily tell them everything that I've learned. And I think, you know, as long as, as long as you're in it for the right reason, it's not like a cutthroat space at all, which is very reassuring and, and, and it builds you know, my confidence in humanity. Um, <laughs> yeah, with that though, you get, you get some companies that are just coming in, you know, to make a quick buck and play off the whole hype of keto, which is unfortunate, but I guess that's to be expected with any industry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, it depends, it depends why you're doing it, right? <clears throat> totally depends on why you're doing it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And, um, you know, the other thing is, is these things, there's this idea, which I've been trying to fight for a long time, that these products are fixed, you know, like they never change. Like, you know, this is 
goldfish are goldfish and they're always going to be goldfish and nothing ever changes about them, right? And I think we need to move more towards this mindset where your products get better over time, right? And it's like as we lear are learning too about what types of ingredients folks are interested in consuming and, you know, how different products impact blood sugar and how they impact ketone body levels and things like that. You know, we can make adjustments to these products over time too. And we, you know, we can all learn from each other. You can see what I'm putting in the cereal, can see what you're putting in your keto bricks and we can kind of all learn from each other and help each other out in these ways. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really exciting time and I'm hopeful, you know, I'm hopeful that I think it's one of the first times where you can be, you can start a food company and you can be honest about it. Um, you know, in the past, if no one knows that sugar is bad for you, how are you going to start a food company that doesn't have any sugar in it? Right. Um, mm -hmm. you're just going to have such a hard time competing with a, with the, you know, with big sugar. Um, and, and so, but now it's like, and you see, so then you have to resort to, to deceiving people. Um, but you know, folks that are, that are part of the keto movement, they are so well educated and they're so, uh, uh, you know, I found on the whole, uh, so interested and so observant, um, and, and so knowledgeable, uh, that you can't, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't need to put anything past people. You can genuinely create a great product and they'll, and they'll understand it. They'll understand what's going on. You know, they'll dive into the, to the ingredients with you. They'll understand those things. Um, I think it's, I think it's fascinating for those reasons. hundred percent, man, hundred percent agree. And, and that's how it should be. You know, you should be knowledgeable of the food you put in your body. And then as a company, you know, putting food out into the space, I mean, you should always be evolving and adapting to, to move with the research that's coming out as opposed to against it. And mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's cool for me to see and talk with people like you that are, that are in it for the right reasons like that. It, like I said, it gives me kind of, you know, faith in <laughs> humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So absolutely. if you could go back and tell yourself a piece of advice, you know, when, when it comes to, as it relates to getting into the food industry and creating your own food business, what would it be? Cause there's a lot of people that probably, are interested in that and there's yeah. it seems really daunting you know like you hear all these things on the onset like you got to get you know certified you have to have like a commercial kitchen space like there's a whole bunch of words that seem kind of daunting for the ignorant ear but what mm. would you tell yourself man <laughs> that's a good question um i think i think starting a business is daunting i think that folks should think about the you know i would tell myself that the 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 food production side of it is definitely challenging, but it's all very doable. You know, um, I think there like other aspects of the business related to promotion, related to marketing, related to getting the word out about your product. I think that's where uh, there's it's more difficult and then kind of making the economics of the whole thing work. Right. So you're not actually losing money on every on every product you sell. And instead, you're actually making money on every product you sell. Um, so I think I, I would say the biggest thing really is to get some mentors, get some advisors, uh, and get those group of people in place quickly um, so that they can help you out through along the way. Um, I absolutely would not be where I'm at today if it weren't for a, key, a few key folks who have been in the food industry for a long time uh, or, or haven't been in the food industry for a long time, but have started businesses in the past um, and they, they are giving me advice on all of these issues, you know, whether it's emotional <laughs> when it comes to the emotional roller coaster of the thing, or if it's related to food itself and where to get a specific ingredient or someone ran out of stock or whatnot. Um, you know, they're, so I think they've been indispensable to me and, and I'm forever grateful for them. So I think, I think getting advisors, getting mentors, getting a few folks that you trust that can really help you out. That'd be my, my number one piece of advice. Like it. Yeah, there's there's definitely been several points throughout my whole keto break journey where I've, uh, you know, picked the brain of somebody that's been there and done that. And that's been, that, that saved me so many, you know, missteps that I can't even begin to quantify. You know, that, that uh -huh. that's, yeah. that's hugely <laughs> important. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't reinvent the wheel yourself on every matter and you can't learn everything. It's just, it's just too much for one person. Um, and so to have folks that believe in you, I think that really helps out with the emotional roller coaster and to have folks that have been there and done that before you have. I mean, that helps with just solving, you know, real actual problems that need to get solved. 100%. 100%. Well, what's next for uh, Catalina Crunch? What's on the horizon? 
What's on the horizon? Well, we have batch two coming out September 21st. Uh, so we're pre-selling that right now. Um, and that is exciting. We're going to be back to the squares, which, which is exciting. And I think going to be uh, 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 relieve some of the headache related to the shape change. Um, we're also working on new flavors right now. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, hopefully going to get those new flavors out sometime in November, uh, mid-November or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's just, not, I, I mean, we started with chocolate because chocolate's a great flavor. I think a lot of people like, like chocolate. It's the most popular or one of the most popular flavors that exists, but, you know, obviously not everyone likes chocolate. And so I'm excited to, to have a few other flavors and, you know, you'd be able to order a variety pack and, you don't have to be eating chocolate all the time. You get some cinnamon in your in there and things like that, and kind of mix it up a little bit more. And I'm I'm all about variety. So so that's that's what's next for us. Very cool, very cool. So with your uh, pizza now, somebody can go to uh, CatalinaCrunch.com and get they they can order it and they'll basically be fulfilled into the month. Yeah, if they, yeah. If you order now, it'll be fulfilled September 21st. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. I'm excited, man. This, this is cool stuff. There's not like I said earlier. There's not any really you know, keto approved cereals on the market. So this is, this is making waves, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Trying to do, trying to do the best we can over here. Trying to, trying to give folks options, you know, uh, whatever it is that they want to eat, we want to be there for them. So um, it's, you know, there's a million different aisles of the grocery store and we're just trying to, trying to make our little small dent in one aisle. So that's where we are. So you think you're going to go, um, are you going to go retail like offered at grocery stores? Uh, oh, uh, we're not, we're not there yet. Um, at some point, I think it'll definitely make sense right now. And for the foreseeable future, we're just selling it through our website. Very cool. Very cool, man. Just topple that Kellogg brand, man. Just topple them. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do I mean, we're going to do the best we can. We're definitely going to do the best we can. I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting on my laurels if I were them. Um, but then again, you know, they have tens of billions of dollars and they have tens of millions of people addicted to their artificial flavoring and artificial coloring. So, you know, we, <laughs> we're, uh, we're trying to, we're trying to topple them. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll check in every now and again and uh, give you the latest update. Hey man, I got full faith in you, brother. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I'm rooting for you as well. Appreciate it, man. Well, cool, cool. I, I kind of gave away that website earlier, but CatalinaCrunch.com is where people can go to get your cereal, right? Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Any other any other platforms or places people should go to find out more about you? <laughs> um, not yet, man. I mean, we are uh, we're all about the website right now, so that's that's uh, that's the place to be. CatalinaCrunch.com. Awesome, awesome. Well, Krishna, until next time, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna order me some and, and chat out on some of your cereal. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> all right, sounds good, brother. All right, take care, bud. Yep, you too.